Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 32 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning in. This week's podcast, I'm going to get straight into the content and we are going to be talking about a recent European Court of justice decision about travel time for workers who don't have a permanent base. So the case I'm going to talk to you about today is one where we've already had the Advocate General's decision on it, but recently the European Court of Justice have confirmed their agreement with the Advocate General's decision. So what does that mean to you? Okay, and In plain English, what that means is the European Court of Justice decide on cases that are referred to them by national courts. So in the case I'm going to talk to you about, it was a Spanish court that referred the case. And what happens is the Advocate General reviews the matter and then gives his view on it. And then following on from that, normally what happens is the European Court of Justice follow the Advocate General's advice. Um, Occasionally they don't, but generally they do. And a few weeks ago, Uh, Actually, back at the end of July, I suppose it was, um, the Advocate General gave his decision on this case. And what's happened now is it's been confirmed by the European Court of Justice, which is why I'm telling you about it on this podcast. So what's the case all about then? So it's about working time. And what happened, the, the facts of this one are that there's a company in Spain who are called Tyco Integrated Security and Tyco Integrated Fire and Security. And they employed a number of technicians who were assigned to various areas or provinces throughout Spain. However, following changes to the employer's business, they closed their provincial branches. So those employees that had been assigned to provinces were no longer had a a local branch to them. And so they were all assigned to the employer's Madrid office. Okay. Now, this didn't affect where the technicians worked. They still travelled around their local province, but it meant that they had no home office, if you like, to go to, no base. And they had just centralised everything. From the employee's perspective, it now meant that they had to travel from home. So instead of going from home to their local office, where they would collect their company vehicle and start work for the day, they would start work when they left home. So they kept their vehicle at home. And the same thing happened at the end of the day. They used to return the vehicle to the local office and then presumably pick up their own vehicle or make their own way home from there. So the end of their working day finished when they reached the local office. Now it finishes when they actually reach home. But what was happening in this case was the employer wasn't actually crediting the employees for the travel time from home and returning home again. They were actually starting their day, the employee's work day, if you like, for the purposes of their working time from the time that they reached the first customer or the first job of the day and at the time they left the last job of the day. Now, what the employees complained about was that they actually could be sent anywhere to their first job of the day or from their last job of the day. And on some occasions, it could be up to 100 kilometres away from their home for the first job. And that would vary day to day depending on what the business needed. So they would get their assignments from their line managers by mobile phone, and then they would be required to go off and do those jobs. So via their union, the employees at these companies decided to make a complaint and said that 
the time that they from leaving home and the time to returning home was actually working time. Now the employer called this rest time. And so it went through the Spanish courts and the Spanish courts decided that because the foundation of working time is from Europe, they referred the matter to the European Court of Justice to determine whether working time included travel time for workers who had no fixed place of work. As I explained there, working time is governed by European law and then it's integrated into national law. And the relevant directive here is the working time directive, which you've probably heard of. And in the UK, that's implemented into UK law by the working time regulations. Now, under the working time directive, working time is defined as any period during which the worker is one working two, at the employer's disposal, and three, carrying out their activity or duties in accordance with national laws and or practice. So that's the basis for what working time is. The working time directive also defines rest period, and that's defined as meaning any period which is not working time, which is a bit of a no-brainer really. Now interestingly, um, neither the working time directives or the working time regulations in the UK state whether the travel to and from a place of work or between places of work should be considered as working time. In the UK, there is some guidance which isn't binding, um, and you can find that on the .gov.uk website, which says that time spent travelling for workers who have to travel as part of their job, for example, sales reps, etc., is included in working time. But normal travel to and from work wouldn't be. So that's the position as given by guidance, but not actually set out by law. In the case of these employees the European Court of Justice decided that actually the time that they were travelling from work to their first job of the day and returning home, etc., was working time. They were carrying out activities or duties on behalf of their employer. So they were under the direction of their employer about where they went. They were at their employer's disposal, so they were physically required to be present and they had limited scope over what they could do in that time. And as they had no fixed place of work, they were carrying out their duties from the moment they left home and therefore they were at work. So take into account all of those points. The European Court of Justice concluded that yes, working time in this case included the time spent travelling to their first job of the day. What was interesting about this is that the decision paid particular attention to the fact that prior to the closure of the provincial offices, Travel from the office to the first job of the day was classed as working time. And then after the change and the closure, they then decided it wasn't working time. So what this means is that European law confirms that working time for mobile workers, i.e. those with no fixed workplace, should be considered in terms of working time. The implications for this are that the employer would then have to pay staff for working time for the travel time. They would also have to include those hours for the calculation of things like holiday, for rest periods and for the maximum working time. So how does this affect you? Now, if you have employees who travel for work and they do so straight from home, then it's important to consider how you calculate their working time currently. I have had some clients in the past who have a standard period of time within that initial travel time that they discount for working time. So let me just explain that. 
So for instance, you've got somebody who is a um, mobile care worker. So their job is to go out to see people in their homes, to care for them on a daily basis. Now what the employer does is says that the first 15 minutes of travelling time to the first job of the day and home from the from the last job of the day are on the employee's time so they're not counted as working time but then the rest of the time is. Now it's not clear from the decision as to whether that nominal amount of time that's at the employee's expense would be classed as working time. I think it's less likely that the courts would take issue with it as what it's doing is really giving concession to the employer for the period of time that an employee would be travelling to work wherever they worked. But again, as I say, it's yet to be considered by the courts. So whether you decide to take that route, it could be a risk to you. So what you need to do is check exactly how things work, check what your contracts and procedures say about time in the working day, And also, if you have workers, mobile workers, consider how things are going to work in the future. Now, practically, some employees may rather travel directly from home to the first job of the day than if you then decide to stipulate that they have to come into the office first. So lots of my clients who have mobile workers do have offices locally that they could go into. Um, Take, for example, the um, mobile care worker The office is fairly local to most of the clients and the staff's homes. And therefore, if an issue were to arise, the employer could say to the employees, right, before you start, you must come into the office to essentially clock on. And that time would obviously be at the employee's time. And and then at the end of the day, you have to do the same. Um, Now, practically, that might not work for you. And for employees, they may find that much more to their detriment than if they just have that nominal 15 minutes or 20 minutes at the beginning and end of the day, which is classed as their own time for travel. It's just one kind of solution that you might want to think about. And of course, if you have any questions that are related to a specific situation with your employees, then I do highly recommend that you get advice. If you have mobile workers and you're not paying them for any of the time that they travel to the first job of the day, I suggest that you relook at that and consider what you're going to do next. So that's a recent case in the European Court of Justice in relation to working time. Um, I will attempt to pronounce the name of that case just to give you a bit of a laugh. But I w- um, will also put the details in the show notes, of course, which you can find at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 32. So here it goes. The name of the case is the Federación de Servicios Privados del Sindicato Comisiones Obreras <laughs> versus, so that's the union, versus Tyco Integrated Security SL and another. There we go, that was much easier. So um, those Spanish lessons I took, obviously not paying off that well. Um, or maybe they are. Let me know what you think. So um, as I say, if you're interested in reading more about that case, I will put the details online. If you don't have mobile workers, then it's probably not relevant to you. But if you do, then um, do have a look at your situation. Okay, so my HR best practice tip of the week. And this is about ensuring that you have a happy workforce. 
Now, there is no one more productive than somebody who's happy in their job, who feels secure in their role and who feels appreciated. And there are some really small steps that you can take to do this. It doesn't have to cost you loads of money. And contrary to what people think, most employees are not motivated by money. So if you're looking at changing any of your employment terms and conditions or your contracts and you want to recognise staff and the role that they play, then there are small things that you can do like giving them some flexible time or giving them some time off for special occasions like weddings and sort of that sort of thing. Some of my clients do offer their staff if they're getting married an additional week's holiday for instance in the year. Um, All of those sorts of things are really good ways of motivating your staff and recognising when they're doing a good job. You can be really creative and it can have a massive impact on your staff. So if you are interested in finding out more or if you want some ideas about what you can do, then I'd be happy to give you some. I've got plenty of ideas about ways that you can incentivise your staff and make them feel wanted and secure in their role without costing you too much money. So that's my HR best practice tip of the week. So now I've come to the end of this week's podcast. I do want to say, I didn't say at the beginning because I didn't want to bring the podcast down, but unfortunately at the New Media Europe conference, which took place last weekend in Manchester, it did. We did have the podcast awards, of which the Employment Law and HR podcast was in the finalists for the best UK podcast. Unfortunately, we weren't successful. But thank you so much to everyone who supports the podcast and who voted. Unfortunately, we didn't win this year. Um, but I will continue with the podcast. It will be carrying on, and it will be getting better. So aside from the podcast awards, I learned so much at the New Media Europe conference that I am bringing you even better, bigger and better content for the Employment on HR podcast. So hopefully when the awards come around next year, we will be in a much better position to win one. So with that in mind, if you have any suggestions about the podcast, what you'd like me to include, how you want it to be formatted, all of that sort of thing, then do please get in touch. Um, you can contact me. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk and I am looking for people to interview. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, whatever you think you might have to say or not to say, I really want to hear from you. So do please get in touch. It'd be lovely to have one of my listeners on the podcast and to hear what you think about the content but also what you think about um, employment law in the UK and HR best practice all of those sorts of things so please get in touch. Finally I wouldn't be a lawyer if I didn't have a legal disclaimer and that's to say the information in this podcast is for information only it's not a substitute for legal advice and it certainly should not be used on its own so please do get some up-to-date advice about your particular situation and please do not rely on anything you may have heard in this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.